So today we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Please can you turn there now. It's traditional at this time of the year for preachers to lean on the topic of New Year's resolutions. And today I'm certainly going to maintain that tradition, although it must be said I am pushing it a little because we're nearly at the end of January already. But I wonder what yours were or if you even made any at all. I will confess that I do not because I've learned by now that either my own laziness or unforeseen circumstances such as large gifts of chocolate will inevitably result in complete failure. But I thought it would be interesting to see if anybody had already made a list of the most popular resolutions for 2023. And of course, it took Google only 0.51 seconds to find 111 million results. Top of the page was this one from Forbes Health, one poll, whoever they are. And as you can see, we have improved mental health, improved fitness, losing weight, I don't need that, improved diet, and improved finances. I don't think there are any real surprises here, are there? But there does seem to be a bit of a common theme to me. They all seem to fit principally into the category of me. What's good for me? Me first. Especially when there's chocolate on offer. Well, does that make them entirely wrong? No, because I reckon you can easily figure out for each one how they might fit nicely into a godly lifestyle if you approach them with the right mindset. That said, there are some other goals that a believer might rather set for themselves that would be more worthy. And we'll find heaps and heaps of them in our Bibles. So what are we going to choose? Well, today I'm going to pick an unusual one. It's undoubtedly not a popular choice in the eyes of the world today, and this will make it hard work for the believer. But it is powerfully modeled for us by Jesus, and that makes it a most worthy topic. It is humility. Would you consider resolving to become a more humble person in the year to come? To help us think through that question, I'm going to use Colossians 3, 12 to 14. So let's read that now. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. As you can see, humility is just one of a list of desirables here. But we'll leave those other virtues for another day and stick to this one, or we'll be here all day. To begin with, we can ask, what is humility? Do we properly understand the term? In order to answer that question fully, we're going to need to look at the word from a few different angles. And we'll start with a worldly view. We'll start with a good old dictionary definition. My very large Collins dictionary gives it as a noun, which means the state or quality of being humble. Well, that's not especially helpful because now we have to look up humble. But thankfully that is on the same page. Humble has a variety of meanings. It can mean to be conscious of one's failures. It also can mean deferential or servile. And those are words that mean unnecessarily respectful, being in a state of slave-like submission. Humble can also be an act, such as to humiliate someone, and lastly, it can mean to lower in status. Huh. 
As you cast your eye over these possibilities, I suspect that there would be little appetite growing in you to consider seeking any increase in humility at all. You know, it's not so bad to be conscious of one's failings, but to be deferential or servile or humiliated or to lose status. Come on, Dave, get real. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I hear you. That brings me to the second worldly point of humility. It's not a very popular idea in today's society, is it? It's generally associated with some kind of weakness or personal failing, and it's not encouraged. In fact, it's very opposite. Pride is the flavor of the moment. Whether it be connected to our character or our possessions, we are constantly bombarded with the message that being proud of our person and or belongings is good. The bestest ever to be actively and energetically pursued. But what does scripture say about pride? Is it a good idea for Christians? Well, I found 25 texts that says it is not. And here's just a few to give you a feel. James 4.6 But he gives more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And lastly, Proverbs 16, this is, <laughs> the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. I believe it's clear from these texts that the pursuit of pride is the very opposite of what the Lord loves his children to do. And this is because pride leads humans to believe that they are their own gods and don't need him. This poses us a considerable challenge. Because on the one hand we have the pressure of the world telling us that humility is for total losers. On the other we have this clear instruction in Colossians to deliberately seek humility. And it's backed up by all these other scriptures that tell us very, very clearly that pride is in a no-go area for believers. So, we can see the correct course ahead of us, but there is difficulty lying there and sailing it. How will we find the right answer? Let's go back to our text in Colossians. Note how it begins. And this time I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It says, Clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's own chosen ones, his own picked representatives, that is, who are purified and holy and well-beloved by God himself. You know, I don't think it's any accident that Paul reminds us here of how we are set apart from the world before going on to talk about the ways that we are practically to show that difference. I see three key phrases. Firstly, God's own chosen ones. Secondly, purified and holy. And then thirdly, well-beloved by God. Since we all struggle continuously with our own internal worldly nature, and at the same time we're submerged in the sea of worldliness all around, it's too easy to forget that spiritually we are already completely separate from that world. And that's what this text is telling us. To paraphrase its message of being chosen, purified, holy, and loved, I could say this. God chose us eternally to be his sons and daughters. Through Jesus, we have once and for all been forgiven our sins 
and He continually gives us a most precious gift, His unconditional love. Friends, please listen carefully here. To say that God chose us eternally to be His sons and daughters through Jesus, we have once and for all been forgiven our sins, and He continually gives us a most precious gift, His unconditional love, is only 34 words. And I have spoken them twice in just a few seconds. Yet if we reflect on these properly, we must see that their meaning is absolutely massive. These gifts we have received from the Lord are beyond human description. More so that not one of us deserves them in any way. And so their truth should profoundly stir our souls to respond since we owe all to God for His loving generosity, we should also give all, all of ourselves to Him. In the context of today's discussion, that means that if the world says that humility is for total losers, yet God says He desires it in His people, well, there is no question at all what the right choice should be and why it should be so. Robert Bally, a Scottish minister, wrote this about 400 years ago. He said, A true Christian is a man who never for a moment forgets what God has done for him in Christ and whose whole comportment and whole activity have their root in the sentiment of gratitude. Now, I just want to quickly explain this word, this word comportment because it's not one that we use very often today, is it? just means how we conduct ourselves day to day and all the things that we do. I think this is exactly why Paul has included these reminders of God's grace here in Colossians before he goes on to these practical matters of living out Christian behavior. Remember the debt we owe the Lord, he is saying to them. Humility, meekness, and long-suffering were not more popular ideas back then than they are now. And to counter that, the Colossians were given that reminder. And it's a reminder that's still true for us today. Okay. Hopefully now we all agree that some amount of humility increment in 2023 is a good idea. And so we can all go out after tea and be humble. Hey, maybe we can even do some humble stuff during tea. Not like taking too many biscuits. But what is humble stuff in real life? You know, we have ideas like, yeah, not taking too many biscuits and letting the guy in front of me take coffee before me without pushing him over. But what about work and school and sports? How do I humble there? Well, the first thing is that we read here, you need to put it on. And please do not confuse the phrase put on with the idea of fake behavior that's intended to impress others because that's absolutely not what it means here. The Greek word that's used here means to put on like a garment, like you got dressed this morning. And the way that it is written calls for believers to do that thing right now, if not sooner. Why is it phrased in this way? Why do we have to do this putting on stuff ourselves if God so wants his people to be humble? Well, why doesn't he just make them like that, boom, when they are saved? Well, the answer is that the new man created at the moment of salvation also needs 
new clothes. Not literal clothes, of course, but new attitudes and new behaviours that make the radical change on the inside of them obvious on the outside. Now, many of you will know that I've recently rediscovered motorcycles after 30 or so years. When I was younger and invincible, I used to ride everywhere in a t-shirt and shorts. But these days, I think I'm a bit smarter. I have a good quality helmet that covers all of my head. A jacket that has big plastic shields on the chest and the shoulders and the elbows. And likewise, my pants have protection for my knees and hips. I wear big strong boots that cover my shins and toes and gloves with plastic bits for knuckles and wrist. And I think that it's unlikely when I'm wearing all this stuff that anyone would mistake me for a surfer. That's what God wants too. No one should mistake a Christian for anything else. It should be easily obvious that this person follows Christ, not because they have a t-shirt with Jesus saves on the front and back in really big letters, or that they helpfully include a scripture with chapter and verse in every second sentence. No, it should be visible by their integrity of character. And putting on humility is one important aspect of that. Let's talk a bit more about that putting on bit, because... It's not as easy as going to the wardrobe and picking today's colour. In the same way that I apparently need help from my wife to get properly dressed to come to church on a Sunday, Christians need the Holy Spirit to help them put on a godly character. And we're reminded of this in these well-known verses in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the, love of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now maybe you want to be a bit picky and say the word humility can't be seen in this particular list. And it's not, in the sense of the same Greek, Greek word being used as the one in our Colossians passage. But this term gentleness, as used in verse 23, well that comes from a word describing the quality of not being over-impressed by the sense of one's self-importance. That's a good description of humility, isn't it? And in fact, some translations do render it that way. The most important thing, though, is not the quibbling over translations, but the reminder of our need to seek the Holy Spirit's help to put on humility without His empowering and prompting and direction. We are certainly going to fail. My late father was very fond of the saying, engage brain before opening mouth. And for, day, for today's purposes, I want to modify that slightly to say engage spirit before putting on humility. What exactly is he going to help us put on? <laughs> well, it's a rather long Greek word that I'm certain to stumble on at least once in the next few minutes. It is tepanophrosune. Remember that? Like many Greek words, it's made of two words that have been combined. And the first is a derivative of tepanos, which means low-lying or low or humble. And then there's a friend bit that's added, which means to think. So together, they mean to think or judge with lowliness. <laughs> Note that this is an entirely Christian word created for this purpose. 
because apparently neither the Greeks or the Romans had a word for humility before this. <laughs> In case you're wondering who it is, it's John Malcolm. It's him. He's the one. <laughs> okay, so our long Greek word is an entirely Christian word. It was created for the purpose because neither Greeks nor Romans had a word for humility. The very concept was foreign and abhorrent to their way of thinking. So they didn't have a word for it. So when during the first several Christians of Christianity, pagans borrowed the term, they always used it in a derogatory sense and frequently of Christians because to them, humility was a pitiable weakness. As used here though, Tepanofrasune speaks of humiliation of mind, lowliness of mind, lowly thinking, the quality of unpretentious behavior, a humble attitude, modesty, the sense of not being unrealistic about what you're able to do, or living without arrogance. William Vine in his Bible dictionary writes that Tepanofrasune indicates not a merely, merely moral quality, but the subjection of self under the authority of and response to the love of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to conform the believer to the character of Christ. I really wish that I had Vine's ability to draw together the word's literal meaning and its relevance to the believer in such a clear way as this. Just one sentence. These quotes are so helpful to us for a proper understanding of Scripture. In this case, it provides not just a definition, but also our exemplar for, for practical expression, the character of Christ. Jesus must be a model in all things. In the matter of humility, Philippians 2, 5-8 gives us its ultimate example. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now there's lots to talk about in here, but what I want to draw out from this text today is that humility has a purpose, a goal, an end. And in this case, it was obedience to the Father's will which was that a sacrifice must be made so that the problem of human sin could be dealt with once and for all. If that was Jesus' humble purpose, what is the purpose of a believer's humility? It is, as Vine has reminded us, for the believer to conform to the character of Christ. The lifelong journey of learning to do this, to conform to the character of Christ, has threefold meanings. First, it's what God made us to be. We were created in His image, not literally to look like Him, but to share in His character. Our salvation restores our relationship with Him, but not our character. That still needs work. And praise God, we aren't left to do that alone. We have His Word to guide us and the Holy Spirit to empower us as we do that work together throughout the rest of our lives. Secondly, it points to God. Scripture says that we are to be salt and light in the world, a world that has lost its saltiness. 
we look around for even a moment, we just see decay. Think how things have changed around you since you were young. How morals have changed for the worse. Theft and violence become more common and so on. God's people are meant to point upwards towards a better solution. There is the answer to this problem in heaven. God is real. God is good. He has the solutions to that mess down here. Thirdly, humility is good for us. And God knows that to be so. Although our flesh may enjoy the alternatives to godly character, well, our conscience always knows otherwise. Whilst it may be seared, as the Bible puts it, I believe there is always a little voice somewhere reminding us that this is wrong and we won't ever have real peace. And this is why we find folk going to the most extraordinary lengths to be the best or get the most of whatever they believe gives their life real meaning and importance. They're trying to hide from that little voice and what it's saying. But money and status will never still it. It may be pushed down so that it's almost inaudible, but the inner spirit of man still cries out for God and his ways. Now, although I've phrased these benefits in the general sense of conforming to the character of Christ, they are also true specifically for the matter of humility. One, God made us to be humble. Two, a humble character points to God. Three, humility is good for us. Before we move on, let's make a quick summary of what we've learned so far. Humility is one of many good responses to God's gift of salvation. Our humility ought to be obvious to those who are around us every day. Humility needs to be put on with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed us true humility by setting aside his godly position and power to come to earth as a man and die for our sins. We should copy him. Learning to be humble is an important part of the lifelong work of conforming to the character of Christ. Okay. With these in mind, let's go back to Mr. Vine now so that we can bring things to a close. He wrote, To Panafrasune, humility indicates... Not a merely moral quality, but the subjection of self under the authority of and in response to the love of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to conform the believer to the character of Christ. You know, <laughs> there, are, there is a very large number of ways for a humble attitude to be expressed. How exactly can a person be humble at school, at home, at work, in the traffic, playing sports, singing in the shower, playing tiddlywinks, and so on. This makes it impossible for me to fulfill the expectation that a sermon ought not only to show that a thing needs to be done, but also exactly how to do it. Sometimes that's achievable, but I, I just can't see it here. So rather, let me leave you with some general principles. I'd really, really like to believe that everybody here knows enough about the ways that Jesus behaved as a man here on earth to use him as their example of how to deal with specific circumstances. In other words, conform to the character of Christ. 
Added to that, there is this most profound matter of God setting aside those privileges and becoming man to take punishment for sins that were not his own. So this gives us two helpful guidelines. One, we know how someone really, really important did it. How they were humble. Two, we know that someone really, really important thought that it was really, really important. So we should feel the same way too. As Vine has said, our response to guidelines one and two should be to subjugate, to completely put ourselves under the authority of the Lord Jesus. This means to follow his direction and example expressed through the Spirit within us and that example as revealed to us through the pages of the Bible. Not the ordinary desire of our own flesh, because that will never on its own take us down the path of humility. And that, folks, is how you can learn to be humble. So I hope that we all have a very humble day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, often you take us into spaces that make us feel uncomfortable. I know that I have felt so uncomfortable preparing the sermon. But that is a good thing. It is a good thing you have given us, this discomfort. And I pray that it would stay with us and prompt us to be humble and obedient servants for your sake. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.